Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My guest today on this very special early edition of the podcast is Dave Arenberg, the district attorney for Palm Beach County in Florida. We could have no better guest as we recorded it on Tuesday afternoon after Fonnie Willis released the indictments of Trump and his 18 co-conspirators. His insights and perspective, as you'll soon hear, are invaluable. Uh, Just a bit of housekeeping before we get going. All the recipes for the podcast and links can be found on my Substack at marissarothkopf.substack.com, including this week's special Rico cookies. That's right, folks. Rum ice coconut oatmeal cookies. Yes, Rico. Get it? R-I-C. Oh, you get it. Anywho, you can support my work with a subscription for $5 a month, or if that's not possible yet, please subscribe for free. And don't forget to join the Deep State Radio as a member for special perks. Either way, I am grateful for your support. Here we go. Today on The Secret Life of Cookies, I have as my guest, I mean, it's incredible timing, but I happen to have Palm Beach's district attorney, Palm Beach County's district attorney, Mr. Dave Arenberg, who is here, honest to goodness, The man deserves a very long nap after, I think you were on TV until what, three in the morning or something last night as the indictments came in uh, from Fulton County. Thank you for waiting to take your nap, I guess. Marissa, it's so good to be back with you. Yeah, it was a crazy night because the DA uh, did the indictment at night and then it wasn't unsealed until like 1030. And that's when I had to start preparing because I had an early morning show and hey, I'm full of this knowledge before I forget it tomorrow morning. Why not use some of it now? Fantastic. And you are, you were on, I, I, I watched you on MSNBC this morning, sharing the good word. Um, I, I have so many questions for you. And I really just want to hear what you have to say as well. I mean, I want to hear your thoughts so much enough about my questions. But I want to tell you what we're cooking today for, because for goodness sakes, you're not the guest who needs to be cooking right now. So if someone should be cooking for you, but I thought, why not just work off this whole Rico thing? And, you know, I've made indictment cookies in the past. Today, I made Rico cookies. So using the acronym, um, rum iced coconut oatmeal cookie. That sounds so good. Four things that I enjoy. Rum and ice, icing, all right, Um, coconut and oatmeal. That's amazing. It's it's not a bad little cookie, I have to say. And it has, um, I put in some chocolate chips because really, chocolate chips. And I also put in some heat bar, like broken up heat bars, because I just felt so sort of giddy after listening to last night's unsealing of the indictments. And let's all take a deep breath. Um, Tell me, so there you were, was it what you were expecting? And more. I mean, it was a, a surprise. Now think of it like this. We've seen four of these now. The first one 
was the big splash in New York. That was groundbreaking. We had never seen this before in the history of our country. And yet it was a little over, uh, underwhelming, excuse me, underwhelming, because I think we expected to get more detail about what that second crime was. You remember in New York, right, the falsification of business records is just the misdemeanors, unless it is meant to commit another crime. And what is that other crime? Well, we never were told. And so it was a bit underwhelming. And then the second one came, and that was the documents case. And that one, to me, is the strongest case. Uh, but it is what we expected, pretty much. So there weren't that many new revelations that we didn't know uh, in advance. And then the third one came out January 6th, which was a very limited, as Joe Scarborough likes to say, taut case, T-A-U-T, right? Where Jack Smith did not go overboard and trying to bite off more than he could chew. He wanted a case that was built for speed. He wanted to try Trump before the election. And so he didn't even indict yet the six others who were mentioned in the indictment, just Donald Trump. And he didn't add the incitement count or seditious conspiracy. It was just those charges that we knew about in advance that we also knew were the strongest charges he knew that he could prove. And so good case. But this is different. This one went beyond our expectations because whereas Jack Smith's was like a, I guess, a, a limited and it was just um, precise, this was carpet bombing. This was shock and awe. This was drinking out of a fire hose. Whatever analogy you want to use, uh, the good news is that everyone who's been worried that the leaders of the attempted coup would never face accountability? Well, worry no longer because they're all going down in this indictment. Even Kanye West's marketing director, who was part of the, <laughs> who's part of the attempt to intimidate uh, poor Ruby Freeman and her mother, he's indicted. So you've got even even Mark Meadows, who we thought got away with it because he cut a deal with the federal government, he's indicted. <laughs> Nineteen people. 41 counts, 98 pages, 161 uh, acts uh, that are not predicate acts, but overt acts as part of the conspiracy. So this was a tour de force for my counterpart in Fulton County, Fonnie Willis. Absolutely. Um, I want to take a little sidebar here because the word predicate has been thrown out, thrown around a lot and not in the way I would use it as a writer and editor, but as the way you lawyer people do. And for those playing along at home who think they're lawyers but aren't, could you just give us a quick sense of what predicate law is and how it can work, especially in RICO cases? Yeah, predicate isn't just for grammar anymore, right? Noun, <laughs> noun, predicate. You take me back to my eighth grade English classes. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Diagramming sentences and stuff like that. So a predicate in the law is when you're talking about a RICO case. A RICO is racketeering. Remember the, the law that was really invented for the mob, but now it's expanded to so many other uses. You just have to have an enterprise and you have to have a pattern of racketeering activity. That's it an enterprise engaged in a pattern of racketeering activity. So what is a pattern of racketeering activity? It's just in Georgia defined as two or more predicate crimes committed in four years. 
So the next question is, what's a predicate crime? Well, <laughs> a predicate crime is a crime that is listed in the RICO statute that qualifies under RICO. So not every crime is a predicate crime. You know, uh, DUI is not a predicate crime for RICO, but forgery is like forging the fake electors certificates. That's a predicate crime. You need two or more predicate crimes to be charged with RICO. RICO is a prosecutor's best friend because RICO allows the boss man, the mob boss, or whoever's the head of the organization to be charged for things that his associates do that he may not direct or even know about. It's just part of the scheme. It's got to be part of the, um, the ongoing criminal enterprise to do these things. And so you have listed in the complaint 161 overt act. Now, here are the things. Not every overt act is a predicate act. Not every overt act is a crime. A predicate act is something that comes under the RICO statute. So um, there are 34 acts that you could conceivably be used to charge RICO. That's it. Now, and now someone, someone asked me, well, they have Donald Trump in one of the overt act tweeting, and that's not a crime to tweet out lies. And I said, that's right. Not every overt act is a crime. Not every overt act is a predicate act. If you and I, Marissa, decide to engage in a conspiracy to rob a bank, under the law for the conspiracy, you'd have to have two or more people in an agreement, and then you have to have at least one overt act. And the overt act doesn't even have to be a crime. So for example, if you go out and buy a mask to be used in the robbing of the bank, buying a mask is not illegal, but that's your overt act. And now you, we can be busted for the conspiracy. So that's why she put in 161 overt acts. She wants to show all the ways that people acted out on the conspiracy, not necessarily on the RICO charges, which requires predicate acts of which there were just about 34 of them. Okay, thank you very much for clarifying that for me. Um, I, I hope uh, it was clarifying and not confusing. It, it is. Oh, good. No, it's absolutely clarifying. I find that, you know, we're all beginning to have to learn to become um, play lawyers at home right now. And and it's there's a lot to know. Um, and every day I see people, I see you, I see Joyce Vance, I see everybody on TV talking and I go, you have so much in your head. It's very impressive. Um, there's, <laughs> I think I sound really dim right now, but believe me, I am in awe. Um, I'm going to read you a little quote I just read from one of our favorite uh, co-conspirators, Sebastian Gorka, just to set the sage for you. And he was on TV recently, I think in the past uh, 12 hours, saying the following, and, and I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, but I won't do the accent. Anyway, asking Raffensperger to find 11,000 votes is the same as saying, I just want to have vanilla ice cream for dessert. It's not a crime to say, I just want something. Okay. Well, first off, I thought it was very interesting in the 98-page indictment that Fonnie Willis did not include that quote from Donald Trump from the phone call. I, there were lots of quotes in there oh, from him, but not that Interesting. One. And 
I, I don't know exactly why it's not in there because I think it is a very damning quote, but the rest of the call is in there. I mean, she is charging based on that call. That's one of um, the uh, the counts is an attempt to interfere with the with an elections official. And then there's attempted election fraud and all that other stuff. So there are multiple counts relating to that phone call. So I do expect that phone call to be played at the trial. Uh, but I don't know why they didn't include the, the quote, find me 11,780 votes. Here's why that quote is a problem. You can say, I like vanilla ice cream. You could say, I think I was ripped off in the election. You could say, I think there are votes out there that were not counted that should have been for me. And you could even say, I think you need to find those votes that were destroyed that were meant for me. But that's not what he said. He said, I need you to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than Biden got. He asked the supervisor of elections to overturn the election by finding him one more vote than he needed to overcome Joe Biden's victory in Georgia. That's a crime. Right. He found the ex it happened to be an exact number. It was not, oh, golly, find me a couple thousand. See. He didn't say so he was, me the fraudulent, uh, the, the ones, the votes that were fraudulently discarded. Yeah. He said, find me the exact precise number that I won more than I need to win. Mm, that's bad. That's really bad. That's really bad. So it's interesting. So why would you not put that, you choose to use that quote in the indictment documents itself? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'd love to have all the answers. I don't know why that's not in there. I thought that was interesting. But, I mean, the rest of the call is in there, and it's coming in. It's just, why didn't she include it? Maybe, maybe it's because we've seen it and seen it so many times that she didn't think she needed it. It's like, you know, my favorite band, Rush, you know, do they really need to play Tom Sawyer? I mean, everyone's heard it many, many times. But I think if you don't play it, people are going to ask questions. So here we are. Especially when you pay that much money for a ticket. But anyway, uh, they kind of have an obligation to us. Okay, now I'm going to make you play indicted co-conspirator right now. Are you ready? <laughs> you are right now an indicted co-conspirator. You are not an upstanding citizen as you actually are. Um, what are you thinking right now? And what is your lawyer telling you? Well, you, it depends on who is paying for your lawyer. If Donald Trump is paying for your lawyer, like he's paying for the lawyers and all the other cases against him, uh, then your lawyer is probably saying, well, uh, you know, I, I think you could beat this because, you know, they don't have the goods on you and uh, Donald Trump is, uh, is going to get away with it. I mean, maybe that's what they're told. Now, if, if you have your own lawyer, your lawyer is probably telling you, cut a deal flip right now because the first in is the first to win, meaning the first person hat in hand into Fonnie Willis's door is going to get the best deal. The longer you wait, the worse the deal is. Better get in right now because you don't want to die in prison because Rico is serious. Now, on the other hand, I, I, I <laughs> Sorry, don't I'm not any, laughing at them. I'm yeah. just, it was the uh, way you said it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit about dying in prison, but uh, yes. I don't think anyone's going to uh, be given 30 years here. And uh, I don't think anyone is that old there, but you never know. I mean, I don't know. Sydney Powell looks like she's uh, she's pushing a few years, and 
Uh, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani. Yeah, Giuliani. There you go. So I guess Mark Meadows is in. Would have to be live into his be living into his nineties too if he got thirty years. So. Yeah, that's a, that, all right. Well, I don't think they'll get 30 years, but, you know, look, five years in prison for Rudy Giuliani. I mean, that's that could be a death sentence for him. I mean, he's not in great shape. Ironically, with Rudy, you know, with, with Rudy, uh, he is hoist by his own petard for those Shakespearean fans out there. He is, he he gained. Are you allowed to talk Shakespeare in Florida? Sorry, uh, not anymore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but then again, I'm a, sta- a current state attorney, so you never know if I'll still be state attorney by Friday. So many jokes, so much topical stuff in there. Yes, go on. Gallows humor. Rudy Giuliani was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He made his reputation on taking down mob bosses via the RICO statute. How ironic that he is now being indicted for RICO. I mean, the Rudy Giuliani of 30 years ago would have loved to prosecute the Rudy Giuliani of today. Yes. I mean, the word irony now, according to Merriam-Webster, they now have a picture of Rudy Giuliani in there. Um, They're kind of his mugshot in there. Um, So Rudy Giuliani testified in a Senate hearing something that he knew to be false, right? Like it's now shown that it's known to be false. Um, If you are him, like if you're one of the big guys there, like him or like Mark Meadows, do you flip? Yeah. Um, do do I want I, you want him to be your star witness? Well, the question is: Do the prosecutors really need Rudy Giuliani to flip? I mean, they've got so much evidence. I mean, how valuable is is he? And he's such a liar that I don't know if the value of giving him a sweetheart deal is worth it. I I do think that he should flip because he could avoid a trial. He could avoid years in prison. Maybe he'll get, you know, a, a year in jail uh, if he flips early or maybe less than that or just probation. But he wants to be the first one in. And look, there are different models here. You could go and follow the Alan Weisselberg model, which is you stay loyal to the boss and you end up in Rikers. You could follow the Michael Cohen model and you end up in federal prison. Or you can follow the Cassidy Hutchinson model, who fired her Trump-funded lawyer and hired her own. She came clean during the January 6th hearings and became a hero to many people in the country and is facing no criminal liability. So he's got a choice. We'll see which way he goes. I can tell you, so far, Walt Nada and Carlos uh, de Oliveira in the documents case have chosen to follow the Alan Weisberg model. So I think that's a bad decision. I think that's a poor decision too. Um, if you were them, would you follow it because you want, because you want your legal fees paid for? And Calvin the cat says hello. By the way, it, your, for your, those at home, Calvin is literally right across the screen. Your cat, Calvin, is adorable. Very good, cute. Uh, you should have, get another cat named Hobbs. I hope that you do. <laughs> we have one called Clyde, but yeah, Hobbs is good too. Right? He was named after Calvin and Hobbs. Uh, for those younger um, <laughs> listeners, that was the most popular comic strip in our day and really ever. I mean, I know you're going to say peanuts, for the, but no, Calvin and Hobbs are the best. I completely agree with you about Calvin and Hobbs, and I was pleased that my, I, I bought some of the Calvin and Hobbs comic books for my kids. 
like the big compendiums and they liked them. So I really feel like I've done well here. You know, the, the creator, Bill Watterson, um, if I pronounce, I think it's Watterson, right? He, yeah. Mm-hmm. A genius, but he, he was like a little bit like J.D. Salinger. He didn't want to license anything. He wanted just to be left alone. And that's why all the, um, the icon, the, the decals you see on cars or T-shirts, none of them is licensed. Uh, the only thing that he licensed were the books. So just an interesting uh, topic for another podcast. Interesting. Um, and what it's done for him. Maybe it's kept it honest. Um, Calvin is now laying on top of my questions. Calvin. Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, very I forgot where we were. We were talking about the uh, legal jeopardy, I think. <laughs> we were talking about legal jeopardy. We were talking about whether you choose the Alan Weisselberg oh. model, the Michael Cohn model, um, or the Cassidy Hutchinson model. And I know which one I would choose, but then again, I wouldn't get myself into that kind of hot water. But, but, but lawyers are expensive, Marissa, and it does take a lot for you to fire a free lawyer who is probably a very competent lawyer who's not going to, I mean, because they could be disbarred if they cross the line and they have to look out for your own interest. But, you know, when, when the boss man is paying, that interest could be clouded. But it's tough to say, no, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to hire my own lawyer. I'm going to pay out of my own pocket and, um, and, and hope for the best. I mean, instead, you stay loyal to the boss. You, you stay on payroll like Alan Weisberg was. And you get your legal fees paid. Remember when when Alan Weisselberg was turning state's witness in the uh, New York case against Trump, and they were cross examining him, and they were Trump's lawyers were calling him out. Meanwhile, Trump was paying for Weisselberg's lawyer. In fact, Weisselberg still had a position within the Trump organization, was still getting paid. So it was like Kabuki theater there. It, it's amazing, and I. I uh... The whole thing, and you know, I, I kind of forget the point the, here that, and I shouldn't, is that being a friend of Trump's or working for Trump is being, is like, qualifies as being in an abusive relationship. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. You can't do anything without me. I'm going to beat you. You can't do it. You know, it's, it's very, very unhealthy relationship. And I'm sure he's like, I'll pay for your, you know, it must be like that where I'll pay for your legal fees, but. Perhaps you know you you'd never win without my lawyers, sort of. Well, there there could be a little bit of Stockholm syndrome there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how does like the nitty gritty of you have like Fannie Willis? I suspect sort of played her cards here by saying I got eighteen uh, uh, co-conspirators here, indicted co-conspirators. She. When you do something like that, do you have as a, a DA a sort of sense of like, okay, I'm going to let three of them flip or I'm going to let as many as possible flip and see what I can get? Like, what is the gamesmanship in something like this? Or is there, is it, there is not? There's some she'd rather flip earlier um, that she want, would want to flip more than others. And the ones who know the most who are closest to the former president, because make no mistake, this indictment is about Trump, even though there are 19 of them. She she's going after Trump here, and you know for if Kanye West's uh, marketing director says I'll flip on uh, on the defendant number seventeen who none of us has heard of. It's like okay, I mean that's not <laughs> doesn't really move the needle. She she would accept anyone who come in with information. Uh, those are the ones who you really want to give the good deal to, the ones who can be valuable to you. If the person comes in, they don't offer much. I mean, you can give them a plea deal because it'll save you time 
and hassle to get rid of the case, but it's not going to be as, as generous a plea deal as if Mark Meadows comes in and says, all right, I'll tell you about all the inside conversations I had with the former president where he knew the election was legit. And then we have the unindicted co-conspirators who are probably in the White House Oval Office. Um, those are people who've probably given up some information. Yeah, Once here are again, a couple. for the non-legal scholars here. Well, a lot of us were surprised when we didn't see the names Lynn Wood or Mike Flynn in the indictment. Their names are nowhere in there. And, uh, you know, Lynn Wood is, that, is the controversial lawyer in Georgia who um, had some bizarre uh, behavior and then voluntarily gave up his law license and, and he was a big Trumpy. And um, he came out with a statement and said, I testified before the grand jury, honestly, for an hour and a half. And I um, told all. And so his name was not mentioned in the indictment, but Sidney Powell's was indicted and Jenna Ellis was indicted and Rudy Giuliani, others who are lawyers who advised Trump. So you know, that would lead one to think that if you're going to call Linwood crazy, yeah, maybe he's crazy like a fox because it looks exactly. like, right? Looks like he gave right. those other guys up. Yeah, exactly. Just crazy enough, you know? Looking on the other, on the other indictments that have occurred for Donald Trump lately, um, he has not had to have his mugshot taken. And apparently, and there's no, it's such a teeny detail, but in Georgia, apparently he will have to have his mugshot taken. Why Why do you decide not to make him take a mugshot, like as in New York? Isn't that favoritism? Like, doesn't every other dude in the room have to get his mugshot? Well, the purpose of a mugshot, Marissa, is in case of escape, you can plaster the community with the defendant's picture to spot him on the run. But when you're dealing, yeah, when you're dealing with the most famous slash infamous person in the world, you don't really need it. That's interesting. Okay, I, you know, I never really thought about like the simple reason that we have mug shots, and it's not just to embarrass people on the internet. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I've learned so much today. How uh, I, I, I want to sort of look ahead. Um, many of the speculators, the professional speculators, are speculating that Donald Trump will, you know, pull some of his like shenanigans that try and keep the um, actual, uh, uh, you know, legal case from proceeding and, oh, he's going to need to move it. He wants going to want to move it somewhere. What are the rules behind that? And will it work? Would it work? Yeah, move it to the diverse state of West Virginia where he can get a fair trial. That's great. Yeah, that is a very diverse state. Oh, wait. Have you ever looked at the diversity numbers for West Virginia? Yeah, it's like 90% like white or something. Is that right? Maybe even higher, but yeah. very, very. Well, high. he's thinking of ideological diversity where 50% of the people there think he's a great president and the other 50% thinks he's the greatest president. So that <laughs> ideological diversity. Okay, fair enough. Um, how do you move it to, like, if people are saying he might want to move it to uh, make it a federal, make a federal case of it? There, there's that expression. I do think that that's his best chance. Now, I was uh, doing a, a show with a um, right-wing commentator who was saying, well, he's going to fight this to the Supreme Court on grounds of presidential immunity or grounds of First Amendment. And I said, that ain't going to happen. I mean, he can do all he wants, but he's not going to win on those grounds where there's no precedent for such a thing. 
no one is above the law and there's no such thing as just absolute immunity for a president, especially a former president. So it's not going to happen. But I do think there is a small chance, a non-zero chance, as uh, Trump's people once said during the election, that he could get the case removed to federal court. I think it's unlikely, but it could. And that, I think, would be bad for at least one major reason. And that is, if it goes into federal court, there are no cameras in the courtroom. And this is the one case where I was hoping that the public would would be able to see it. We'd see some transparency. There is no excuse for not having cameras in, in the courtrooms anymore. We're so, so outdated with these uh, policies from the 1950s in federal court. And New York, state court in New York doesn't even have cameras in most cases. So Georgia was our exception. So I'm hoping it'll stay in state court. I think it most likely does. But his argument is that now, this is about my conduct while I was president. This is a federal case, and I should be heard in federal court. Well, no, yeah, although it was during his time as president, it was not presidential duties. This was about the election, not about anything in his role as president. And these are state counts, not federal ones, and Georgia is allowed to enforce its own election laws. In fact, election laws really are enforced at the state level, not the federal level, which is why this case is stronger than the case that Jack Smith brought just recently, because Jack Smith has to use statutes that are, you know, not exact, obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, deprivation of rights. I mean, I think I think he's got a good case, but I think the better case is when you have a state case where you can say, we're charging you for election fraud. We're charging you for interfering with an elections official. We're charging you for forgery. I mean, these are really good charges for prosecutors. Yeah. And so um, graspable by all of us. I did, when they kept mentioning forgery, I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. It's forgery. So we have one of the things that really popped out to me uh, in, in this, when I was, when I was thinking about it last night was, it's not just Georgia that had fake electors. We've got a whole slew of other states there that had fake electors, just like Georgia. Um, do do are there noises coming down the pike that your Michigans and your Arizonas might do something like this? Or well, Michigan already like, had. Gonna... Michigan was the first. Oh, that's right. Right. Actually, you're ahead of your. But... Uh, yeah, you're ahead of stuff there. But. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Michigan <laughs> yes. has done it. Uh, Arizona could be next because you have a roadmap now. And I think they should know there were seven states, swing and relatively swing states that were part of this fake elector scheme in two of the states. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were Pennsylvania and New Mexico on the fake elector form. It said we are alternate electors in case the May, the regular electors are disqualified, something like that. Now, that comfort language, that disclaimer, ensures that it's not a crime. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that what they did is, is legal. You can do that. You can send up an alternate slate and say, hey, in case the regular electors don't go through, here's some alternate ones. All right. But what is a crime is when you say, we are the real electors. Here is the state seal. We met on this day in the Capitol like they did in Michigan, which which was a lie. And we are the real electors, count us. Now, that's a crime, and it's now being charged in Michigan and in Georgia, and maybe Arizona will be next. Okay, so they're, they're not going to get away with it 
too many more places. Hopefully not. One more question, one, two more questions for you. I'm going to slope, shift uh, slightly to the state of Florida, where we saw some local prosecutors uh, removed, well, one last year, one this year, removed by, um, I guess, fiat, really. And um, because maybe Miss, uh, the governor doesn't like the way that they enforce the law, um, or I don't know really what his reason was. And Georgia, it's also just passed a statute like this, which takes effect, I guess, in eight weeks. And I'm wondering, like, do you think someone might try to get Fonnie Willis out in that sort of situation? Do you, do do people in Florida who are in uh, positions of um, I don't know district attorneys and stuff do they can worry about that sort of stuff? No, you can't look over your shoulder in this job and and run scared. A scared prosecutor is a dangerous prosecutor because they're more concerned with the the whims of public opinion and polls and what the governor wants you to do when your mandate is to follow the evidence and the law. And if you start to worry about, you know, the yapping uh, class of uh, political pundits who tell you, you're, you know, you need to go this way instead of that way, then and you're doing it all wrong. And so I, 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 I can't say that I, I'm paying close attention to how I'm being received in Tallahassee. And, and Fonnie Willis, I'm sure, is doing the same thing. Um, remember, a federal court said that Governor Sanders could not uh, remove Andrew Warren, the, fe- the uh, state prosecutor, a state attorney in Hillsborough County. And then the federal judge said, yes, but I cannot undo it. So you can't do it, Governor, but I cannot undo it because of the 11th Amendment. He said, you got to go to state court. Well, then Andrew Warren went to state court and then the state Supreme Court, which is very conservative. Five of the seven justices are now appointed by DeSantis. They said to Andrew Warren, too late. You should have come to us early. Bye bye. And so he's now appealing the federal decision to the 11th Circuit. I think that the prosecutor in Orlando who was removed, Monique Worrell, has a better claim. And I think she should go to the state Supreme Court, no matter how conservative, because to me, her her uh, removal was, at least on the surface, uh, appeared more political. With Andrew, I thought it was political, but Andrew signed that pledge not to prosecute abortion cases. And as such, that gave DeSantis a hook to say, hey, Prosecutors have to exercise discretion. You cannot make blanket pledges. Orrell, Marie Orrell did not sign that abortion pledge, and so I, and he did not mention any pledges in his order to remove her. So I think if she fights this at the state level, she should be able to win. Or maybe I'm just being a Pollyanna. No, I, 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 I don't think of you as a Pollyanna, um, nor do I think of you as a negative Nelly. And, and why are they women's names? Uh, but... <laughs> But um, just I, I just to say, I, I really appreciate your answer on that one because it's a good reminder that they're what the job of a DA is, and it's in, especially in this sort of crazy maelstrom that we exist in these days. Um, it's nice to see that there are people who do their jobs because their jobs are supposed to be done. A certain way, right? Like you're just doing, following the rules. You're there to uphold, I mean, more importantly, you are there to uphold the law and the rules. So looking behind you 
wondering about Tallahassee serves no purpose. It, it, it takes away from it. And I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. And, and Marissa, I, I announced that I'm not running for a fourth term. So I'll be out of this job anyways by January 2025. So it makes it even you know, uh, a stronger case for me not to you know, uh, look over my shoulder. To be able to, it makes it easier to tune out the noise knowing that I've got a year and a half left and mm-hmm. I'm not up before the voters again, at least not for this job. And right. I should just continue to keep my head down and focus on the facts and the evidence and the law in front of me. If I had the rights to the song, I would play you out to keep it on, keep on, keep it on, you know? That's that's <laughs> that's really nice. Although since I've already mentioned the band Rush in this yeah, podcast, okay. you'd yeah. have to give me something like free will. <laughs> all right. Let's all pretend that. Everyone, please switch to Spotify or your music provider of choice and play us out with Free Will by Rush. Um, I thank you so much. I would send you Rico cookies if I could, um, but maybe one day you'll come up to my neck of the woods and I'll give you some in person. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and please try and get some rest and and eat right so that you stay strong for all this. I will. And thanks for having me back, Marissa. I'd love to do it again sometime. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Dave on Twitter at Aaronberg or Threads where he got to use his entire name. So his handle there is at Dave Aaronberg. You can find me where I get to use my whole name at marissarothkopf.substack.com or Marissa Rothkopf Eats on Instagram. And if you're hanging around on threads, you know, please give me a follow at Marissa Rothkopf Eats. Thanks and have a great week.